Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss sound practices and superlative resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Really grateful to be here today with Dr. Peter J. Williams, principal of Tyndall House at Cambridge and author of Can We Trust the Gospels, a new resource from Crossway General Biblical Languages Scholar. Should be of great interest to our audience. Uh, Dr. Williams, thank you for being here. Great to be here. You are pretty soon going to be debating with Bart Ehrman. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited. I didn't know that. What's the, what's the podcast or what's the medium for uh, that? So Justin Briley has a show called okay. Unbelievable, and in that they've got a series called The Big Question. So okay. other people have done that uh, before, and so Bart and I will be on in July, I think. Okay, so uh, our audience ought to be able to figure out at this point, if you're debating Bart Ehrman and your book is called Can We Trust the Gospels, you would We answer, have some difference of opinion. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, maybe so. So, yeah. so I'm going to go yes. for yes, and he's going to go closer <laughs> to no, yeah. Okay. Okay, and I want to get into this. First, just let me know, I was able to scan through this book that Midwestern Seminary graciously provided here for the Sizemore Lectures. Really glad to have you on campus for that. Um, it, it seems to be written in a way that um, an educated layperson could pick up onto, Absolutely, a yeah. pastor could pick up onto. What led you to want to write at that level? Really, there was a gap. So I've written a, a book that could be used if this is the first book that someone's ever read on a subject. Mm. And yet I seek to go to greater detail than you would often get. So, for instance, for people to know where to find the earliest manuscript of Tacitus, for me it seems relevant. So I'm I'm trying to write for people who don't have prior knowledge but want to check things mm-hmm. out. And so it seems to me that's been a gap for a very long time yeah. where people have tended – I mean, it's only 140 pages of text. People tend to write long books – and the long books tell you about what scholars think. Mm-hmm. I only tell you about scholars think when it's necessary for my argument. Mm-hmm. I, so the rest of the time I'm trying to focus on evidence, bring scholarship in when it's relevant. But otherwise you end up having these discussions about things like redaction criticism, mm-hmm. which a non-Christian may want to get to know about, but that will be at a later stage. Absolutely. Um, uh, really at first stage, they're asking themselves the questions, how do we know how old the Gospels are? How do we know anything about the authors? And those are the questions i'm trying to focus in on and so that means that although i do mention q i don't spend much time on that there's all sorts of aspects of uh internally focused new testament scholarship Mm -hmm. i could have gone for and just leave out so it's really um significant because of what it doesn't say uh stripping that out and then trying to cut to the chase and so i i expected to find a chapter on the synoptic problem am i right in thinking that i didn't find that chapter in here yeah so i I, i've got a chapter on what are the gospels Mm -hmm. and uh what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to present a solution neutral approach which says whether you have a cue or not um uh, the what we can say is we've got at least five main sorts of material in the gospel so we got uh matthew luke overlap we got matthew special material luke special material we've got mark uh, and where it overlaps with the with the other synoptics and we've got john and so, really, I would find signs of reliability in all five of those types of material. And it seems to me that for me to tie the case for reliability to a particular synoptic theory or to particular dates for the Gospels, I don't, don't give dates on the Gospels, um, it is actually to undersell the Gospels. The point mm-hmm. is the Gospels stand up as having evidence for their reliability, whatever model I use. Mm. And also, it doesn't matter whether I, um, you know, uh, think it's, 
you know, marks made in this decade or that decade. The point is you can still make a case that it's early material based on people who are close to the events. And so I want to zoom out for just a minute to talk more broadly about your career at mm-hmm. Tyndall House before we get more into that. Yeah. But that provides a good segue because you seem to be very much focused on positive evidence. What do we actually have, not what yeah. can we conjecture to have? And that naturally is going to bring me to the Tyndall House Greek New Testament. Yeah, sure. I mean, that that was a big part of the philosophy, am I right, in that work? Yeah, yeah so, so what we've done there is uh, we've sought to um, – edit on the basis of Greek manuscripts and uh, give them a big voice, and particularly the early Greek manuscripts. Um, now, uh, what people sometimes look at our edition and they say, well, where, where are your early church fathers and where are your early versions? And what they may not know is I spent, you know, a good decade of my career doing early versions. I did Syriac, and in fact, I'm mentioned in the Nestle Elan great uh, 28th edition in the preface, because they had to change everything from the 27th edition in the Syriac, because I pointed out how many errors they were making. Mm. Uh, And I had another uh, PhD student, uh, Christian Askland, who did the same with the Coptic. And so uh, what I think I I have shown before is that when people quote versions, they often are misquoting them because they're being overly confident on how you can reconstruct. And even from Greek to Latin, the early Latin versions, people tend to assume a literal translation. They therefore assume they can translate straight from the Latin back into the Greek, and you simply can't be sure. So it seems to me that we, and and with the church fathers, you likewise have the problem that often with our church fathers, we're dealing with very late editions. Uh, And we say the church fathers support this. Actually, they may well not. Even some of the core church fathers... Uh, I think there's evidence that they ch- the text changes over time. Hmm. So I would want to uh, say, let's double back towards the so- most solid sort of evidence, which is the Greek manuscripts. And the other thing is, I was not convinced in a single point that the church fathers or the versions would actually change our decision on which reading to take. So I think the whole history of using the versions of the Church Fathers is something we've inherited over the last several hundred years. Um, It goes back to the 16th century already when people are doing that. But actually, the amount of evidence we now have with early papyri is beginning to make it less and less relevant. So I'd say, you know, although people nowadays are, are tending to make bigger and bigger editions with more and more outlandish versions and, you know, edit the, um, the Georgian and the Armenian and so on, Actually, when you ask yourself, how much does this affect the core of the edition? I think the answer is less and less. And we wanted to focus on things like spelling in Greek, where people have focused very little. you know. Um, and uh, there, actually, by managing not to spend our time on the versions and the fathers, we've managed to free up time where we could ask questions like, how was this presented? How were the paragraphs laid out? Uh, and so on. And in future editions, we hope to get into presenting the Nomina Sacra, which can't just be done by, uh, you know, a uh, a simple search and replace. It's actually a very complex issue to go back into the manuscripts because they are not uh, uniformly presented and also um, present some of the numbers in future. So that's where we've sought to go. Um, and we're finding exciting things as we do. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that work's continuing. Uh, we we had an episode on that last year and um, one of our probably most listened to just a a great interest in that. I want to talk a little bit more about the role of your theology proper in 
your study of the scriptures. This is something you talked about a little bit earlier today. Um, but I want to set this in context. You are an ardent believer, an evangelical, strong believer in the inerrancy of scripture at uh, a really important institution for uh, biblical research. How did you get there? Mm-hmm. How do you view that stewardship? What does that look like? For you? Sure. So I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, wanted to become a Bible translator, went to Cambridge, studied Greek, Latin, Hebrew, and Aramaic as my undergraduate degree. Uh, while in Cambridge, meeting um, serious biblical scholars for the uh, first time who knew the Bible really well and uh, had a very different way of explaining it, that sent me through a period of uh, doubt for a while, began looking for answers, began finding answers, began sharing answers, and also feeling a call. Well, Bible translation is a good thing, but also there's there's a call to be a biblical scholar. So I've sought to, to devote my life to being a uh, a believing biblical scholar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find now, having done that for quite a while, that confessional biblical scholarship, as I'd call it, where you, you come from within the... Um, confession of uh, the scriptures as true has been a very fruitful thing mm. to do so actually it's something that helps you discover things because yeah. it makes you ask questions and look places that you might not otherwise so um and um it's also not um pursuing a project which gets gradually uh less rewarding mm-hmm. uh, over time as you're trying to um explain away recalcitrant evidence rather it's it's something that um you know is very fruitful Hmm. wow yeah that conviction that there there is a way to harmonize an apparent discrepancy is not something and i'm sure there's yeah yeah and and also i think uh the the whole um sometimes you've got to look at the ground rules so you know you raise the issue of discrepancies and the automatic thought can be how do i harmonize Hmm. and actually i think i'd want to step back a bit and say do you even need to harmonize because um say you know how do the resurrection accounts fit together the answer is they could fit together in multiple ways and i don't need any of the ways that they fit together to reach a very high probability because if you just look at things in probabilistic terms you could have um one way in which they don't fit together and you could have five ways in which they do fit together each of which has say got a 12 percent probability of being correct but the five of them together have got a 60 percent probability of being correct you know i mean one of the five so and i don't need to choose which one it is and i know it it isn't quite mathematical like that but 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 the point is the idea that i can only believe something if i can show that a particular solution is more than 50 percent likely to be correct it's baloney in logical terms it's just that's not the way we live our lives we don't need to do that so what we uh, then do is we get to the point where we can see that the plausibility of a a classic scripture believing faith um doesn't depend on one particular point you can say actually the plausibility of that um comes from the beauty and simplicity and fruitfulness of the system as a whole mm-hmm. um and therefore i'm actually freed up to concede when someone's got a really good counter objection say yeah that's really good i can see that by the way you know that in your worldview you've got some other problems which i just want to unpack for you mm. you know everyone's got problems in the worldview um you don't um 
you know, switch worldview because you, you've got a problem because you may have far fewer problems than lots of other people. So uh, I would just say it's, it's very fruitful working within that framework. Uh, and so I don't need to have, you know, today's solution to the Quirinius problem, you know, I, I, and if there is a problem, I'm happy to say, yeah, it's a problem, you know, uh, got a problem with that? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you, you got to that point because this is where I want to sit for a minute as we, we really try to hone in on this because there's there so much so much good in this book. I, I was I really appreciate it specifically um, what you called maybe deliberate contradiction, mm-hmm. um, especially as we see it in John. Just a really helpful way of putting things, really narrowing things down for people in a way that um, I think they can latch onto without a lot of formal training. And you you really are very evidence based, both in you know your supervision of the Tyndall House Greek New Testament and in this book, Can We Trust the Gospels? But something you touched on a little bit today in Western Chapel, I would encourage our listeners to go find that. Um, the Sizemore Lectures 2019 uh, was your doctrine of God and mm-hmm. how that influences your view of the scriptures. Would you sure. would you mind putting that together for sure. us? Sure. So, so, I mean, God is personal, you know, one God, three persons. Um, and um, when we think of God in that way, uh, we've got to think that if God is someone you trust um, then and he speaks words, then these words have to be trustworthy. Mm. They have to be good. doesn't mean they have to be simple uh, and, and facile. And also um, they can be, you know, to use um, Gollum's word, tricksy. I mean, you know, I, I think um, that... Words uh, can be, um, just as the cross is something over which people can stumble, uh, God's words can be written in such a way that if you seek, you find, and if you don't seek, you stumble. So therefore, I would say that there's loads and loads of evidence in the scriptures that the scriptures are true. There's also lots and lots of evidence within the scriptures that can cause you to stumble if you want to. So you can find in the scriptures probably an infinite resource for reasons not to di- not to believe, hmm. as well as an infinite resource for reasons to believe, uh, um, and so that's because um, our relationship to God is always a moral question. You know, are we seeking after Him? If you want to find reasons not to seek after Him, you always can, uh, and I'm sure Caiaphas had a deeply rational. Um, internal system for why he needed Jesus out of the way Um, you know uh, that people who were um, under the cross as Jesus crucified mocking uh, again had a rational uh, system which managed to explain why Jesus was an imposter and there was evidence for that namely that he was being uh, crucified by the Romans and he didn't seem to be rescuing himself it was all good evidence for their view it just happened to be wrong Hmm. Um, you know, and I, th- I think seeing that that's the way the world is, uh, that God has put things so there's always enough if we seek him. But if we want to shut our, our our ears, then we can. We can walk away. Hmm. You keep you keep saying if you want to. So we're almost getting into soteriology now, right? There's an well, sure. I mean, the, 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 these things on. these things are all all, all, all related. I mean, yeah. I, I think that the uh, the scriptures are a call to obedient obedience, and so. Um, that um, obviously it's it's possible for people to uh, walk away from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so you keep you keep using that word rational too. That there's they can they can find evidence. Would you would you push that? And would you say 
you, you mentioned before, you know, but they're they're in that worldview. There's going to be some inconsistency. There's going to be some things that don't line up. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so uh, you know, um, we've got a great uh, case in in um, the ones I call them the Philistines. You probably call them Philistines in mm-hmm. in. Um, uh, first Samuel where you know they've been plagued by the Ark of uh, the Covenant and they decide to send it back right. and uh, they've got these uh, brand new um, you know uh, milking cows and uh, you know if they don't go back uh, to Israel well they're just going to say that the plagues were all a, uh, just a chance huh. you know if, if you want to you know explain things like that it has a, a seeming rationality to it hmm. Um, just as um, I, I think uh, there's uh, Jesus' trial, there seemed to be a rationality to the, the claim he's blasphemed. You know that, that, that there are the, there is an internal logic to that. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't mean that it, it, it's true. Um, there's there's a, a seeming rationality to um, the serpent's question in Genesis three. Where he says, you know, you'll not surely die, um, and um, what um, we see is that all three things that he says are, are come to uh, be so because uh, they don't die that day. Um, the serpent says, "You will become like God, knowing good and evil," and sure enough, they they do. And later in the passage, God says, "Look, they become like one one of us." You know. So, in other words. Um, the every single part of his lie is mixed with truth. So I mean, this right. is, this is the way uh, things are, um, and it's a great call to discernment. But f- sometimes I think we can present it as if Christians have all the evidence, and the other people have no evidence, right. and this this is not biblical, right? Man, I I appreciate that so much. From especially, I I feel like maybe there's at times too too high a wall between. Um, the world of those who are swimming in the confessions, those who are systematic theologians, dogmaticians of some kind, and those who are trying to look at the evidence, work inductively from the ground up mm-hmm. um, without falling into the ditch of just this uh, infinite historical criticism that you, you've kind of got at. Yeah. And and so I appreciate so much you trying to, to relate these things and relate these things well. How would you encourage those who are, especially, I mean, especially our listeners, um, really interested in the languages and, and things like text criticism and even like linguistics and discourse analysis. Um, are there any, I know so much of this is metaphysical and mm-hmm. epistemological. Are there any practical pointers you could give them as they study? Yeah. So I think uh, f- firstly is knowing different character types. I mean, I, I do think that, I mean, uh, I'm a geek and I get on well with geeks and we often, you know, get deeply interested in particular things and this is great and we 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 get into uh grammar and particularities and then you find people who are not into particularities i mean people like emmanuel kant who managed to write about the way the world was but basically never leave his own hometown Hmm. you know he wasn't really interested in in doing the the sorts of particular things of you know studying different noses of finches or anything they're they're, they're far too particular of him and and i think uh recognizing there are these different types of people and, uh, you know, my, my sympathies are much more with the people who want to learn about the particularities of, of, of God's world, but recognise there are some people who seem to be a little bit less interested in that. Um, but then I think what can happen with us, uh, we who are particularists, if you like, is that we can sometimes take a naive view of evidence. Mm. 
Um, and uh, w- one passage I like to uh, think of here is in Second uh, Kings chapter 7, where uh, Samaria is under siege uh, by the Syrians, and it says God caused uh, the Syrians to hear uh, a sound, and they said, behold, you know, uh, they've raised up the um, kings of the Hittites or the Egyptians against us. Now, of course, that was based on the evidence, but was also a completely incorrect conclusion. Mm-hmm. There, there was a sound, yeah. and that made them uh, infer these armies, which is simply non-existence. And so I think if you take evidence out of a moral context mm-hmm. and you... Uh, treat it as sort of self-interpreting or you use expressions like I follow the evidence where it leads well hang on no you don't really because evidence doesn't lead places without a framework Uh, and so this is where I I would want to challenge uh, people from being too naive about um, that Uh, and I would want to say you know uh, actually the whole of the way we decide things in life is moral and it's relational as well so no human lives in a relational vacuum we are social animals uh, social creatures and um, therefore we're constantly deciding to trust people or not to trust people mm. and to recognize that that's yeah. what's going on uh, not to say oh no all our convictions are based on equations no that's not the way we make our make up, make up our decisions uh, and and trusting and not trusting people is a moral question yeah wow uh, yeah, I appreciate your kind of interdisciplinary approach here. I think that that's incredibly helpful. I hope that people have recognized that um, the it doesn't at all dull biblical studies. It doesn't no. at all dull that kind of scholarship. Um, I, I, I picked up the readers, Tindall House, uh, this morning because mm-hmm. I need a little bit of help on that vocab um, right after I uh, presented last week on uh, lexicography and issues with glosses and those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So I'm holding it loosely, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, just uh, the painstaking work to try to even, I was discussing with um, Dr. Kostenberger, who will also put out um, a podcast episode with you in the coming months, focusing on a little different area. And I'm really excited for him to begin that project and begin producing those things. And I think you're a fantastic guest for him to start out with in those first few episodes. So I hope uh, listeners will go check that out. Um, but I, I really appreciated, he and I discussed just a little bit, um, the role of ecthesis, mm-hmm. which is a very unique, I mean, it's, if you're just going to open up pages and say what's different about this Greek New Testament, which is maybe not the best way to it's figure it out. the paragraphs that's what go you're out. Look yeah, at, yeah, yeah, right? But um, if I'm not mistaken, that was, that was also, you, you wanted to have uh, Dirk Youngkin and, and you wanted to have a, an actual witness to that. Yeah, right, that wasn't just a reconstruction. Yeah, so there's an element of reconstruction in that ecthesis, which is you know the putting out of initial letter of a paragraph, one or so letters, mm-hmm. space in, into the margin, is not the s- method that every manuscript uses. Mm-hmm. It's a common early system, yeah. but say in Vaticanus, it begins in the New Testament with a bit more ecthesis, mm-hmm. and that drops off as you go through. Yeah. Um, and there's also something called the paragraphos, where you actually write a little line in, and sometimes you can have both of those. We basically have said with any of our early witnesses if any of them show any kind of break we need as editors to flatten those out into a single type of representation which we've chosen ecthesis because it's the predominant method it seems the best method and so we, we we we've done that and our edition is really the first attempt at doing that no one seems to have done that before and so as we you know meeting our publication deadline looked at the 
uh, witnesses, this is what we came to. But what our aim would be to do at some stage is to create a committee which can curate mm. paragraphs for the New Testament sure. and really uh, you know, hone uh, the best possible presentation of those. And then my hope with time is that those, would be, those paragraph marks would be picked up in English and other translations yeah. where we would say, you know, there's no excuse in 20, 30 years' time for English and modern translations to be ignoring manuscripts and just putting in modern paragraphs. And it can be very um, challenging ha- how you do that because you, you can realise um, that e- these paragraph bra- breaks may be wrong, um, but if you're going to print anything, let's at least print something that's old, mm. you know, and, and that's from a different era because that allows us to challenge our own uh, preconceptions of the way things should be. Sure, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that we got to go into it. More than anything, what I hope listeners are hearing is that that kind of diligent, um, evidence-based research is not siloed off from this confessional, believing kind of scholarship, this very... um, even epistemologically driven view yeah, of things. Yeah. yeah, in fact, what I'd want to say is it actually flows from it. Yep. That it's the fact that you believe that all scripture is given by God that makes you want to devote the time to this and makes you think, as a conservative Protestant, what what do I go for? And the answer is, well, I, I go for manuscripts, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then let's get into the details of those. Now, you know, at the end of the day, you produce your edition and you say, well, it is only our edition. We're not making any bigger claims. We're not claiming this is all the original. This is the best. We're not claiming other editions aren't good. Um, we're simply saying this is given the time that we've got and given our frailty and mortality and the intellectual limits. You know, this is what we could do. And we put it out there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's having the right view of your work. Mm-hmm. John Lee used that same word frailty when talking about lexicographers. Yeah, just, sure. I mean, it's a common word, but it's just kind of sticking out to me today. Well, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to give at least just a couple of minutes to sort of uh, any advice that you would give, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask some more pointed questions for those who are currently in a PhD program, mm-hmm. those who are in early careers of scholarship. Um, and if you want to throw it out there to uh, some more seasoned vets, that'd be great. But Firstly, those who are in doctoral studies right now, mm-hmm. across a, a wide variety yeah. of disciplines, any any important and maybe um, less attested pieces of wisdom you might want to pass along? Yeah, so I mean, I, I say we need to recognize that the entire university system is one of the most corrupt systems that there is on the planet, and particularly <laughs> the start out there, and, 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 <laughs> and particularly the degree system, because you know, isn't it amazing that we've set up these systems where the universities themselves and the colleges themselves assess how good their own education is? This wouldn't happen in any other. Uh, issue food standards or anything like that so so that that's something you've got to recognize the degree is not what matters it's the education that matters Mm -hmm. then you've got to think so and and how educated you get is basically proportionate to the amount of time you spend things and the wisdom you you spend uh you know uh look looking at things and i'd want to say if you're going to do biblical studies or antiquity make sure you're focusing on antiquity so let's pick a random number like the year 400 you want to say how much of my time am i actually spending thinking about the world before the year 400 and encountering that uh and how much of my time am i actually reading about a 20th century argument between scholars 
Mm, yeah. Or 21st century argument between scholars. Because actually you can find that you can very easily be getting caught up in a modern debate which is very interesting, but it's making you an expert on contemporary affairs. And that's fine. Um, we need experts on contemporary affairs. But don't think that you can be the best in contemporary affairs and the best in antiquity. Because the world is so vast, whether the modern world or the ancient world is so vast, um, and assuming we are all roughly equally intelligent, you know, and th then actually you can't be the best if you're splitting your attention. So you've mm. got to choose an area where you're saying, that's where I want to uh, know more than anyone else and, and focus on that. And I'd say if you're, uh, you know, wanting to get into... Uh, scripture i'd say make sure you're sticking with antiquity mm. uh not that you never look across to you know the modern world and the middle ages fascinating stuff going on in the middle ages and not enough evangelicals in the middle ages i mean that's mm. you know because we think nothing interesting happened then so you ignore it all and uh, so that's augustine to luther uh, uh, yeah it, it's just it's just yeah. dreadful and and you know um so I'd want to say that there is a, a real thing for evangelicals to get into the Middle Ages. Um, but anyway, that, that's, that's an, a, another thing. But you, you effectively have an encounter with a different time and a different culture. Mm -hmm. And that is very uh, important because, you know, it gets us out of this narcissistic, you know, uh, uh, mold where we're just thinking about our own time. Yeah, thank you. That's, a, that's an important uh, word. So those who are on the other end of this, maybe they're currently um, – pursuing research maybe they're currently pursuing professorship or they've just begun that early career professor scholar uh how would you encourage them to make the most of this season well i mean i think we we are in a great season because um the um generally uh, so many um universities and academies and so on are, are so ideologically driven that if you go out and just study diligently something about the way something was in the past, mm -hmm. um, you can discover lots of new things. There's lots of amnesia going on at the moment mm -hmm. in humanity, which allows you to uh, rediscover things as well. So I, I'd say, you know, uh, be really diligent about that. But also know who you are. God has made us all frail and finite, and we are not called to try to be omniscient. Mm -hmm. And so knowing... Um, that you don't know things being prepared to say oh i haven't read that and I, you know get actually develop the habit of saying i haven't read that if you haven't uh you know cut through the bluffing there's a whole load of bluffing that goes on in the academy um you know, admit uh you know who you are what you know and then uh you know be, be, be fruitful with that not think that your little corner of knowledge is the most important uh thing but it is the thing you're called to do i mean you're, you're called to be an egghead in one particular area and that's that's a good vocation uh you know and bless other humans with it yeah thank you for that i appreciate you again bringing this back to what we believe about how god has made the world i mean mm -hmm. you're just you're just modeling all throughout these questions uh, exactly what i was hoping to get out in this conversation can can i end by putting you on the spot yeah okay um no, nobody should ever agree to that question because they don't know what's going to come next right um what's if you can get there quickly in your mind, what is maybe the the one work or one author that you really probably should have read by this point that you haven't? Oh, I could tell you ten. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the thing is, I am so badly read; uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, so I, I've, I've read I, I've read lots of New Testament manuscripts, but I hey, I haven't read 
um, J.C. Ryle's Holiness. Hmm. I got a third of the way through Packer's Knowing God. <laughs> I mean, I can just go through. I mean, my confessions on not having read all of Augustine's confessions. I mean, I can just go. I can. I can go through. And, but, but at the end of the day, is recognizing. Um, have I been wasting my time? Okay, yes, I have wasted some time with on, <laughs> online chess and so on. But, no, you know... is going to come out from under, behind a bush and smack you or something. Well, I mean, I remember actually um, hearing Piper one time talk about, you know, uh, someone asked him what books he'd read recently. And he, he struggled with that question, but, you know, he, he'd been writing books. So, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've got to think about... We've all got... Um, uh, other duties we a lot of us don't have as much time to read as we want even the scholars so i think it's okay to say mm-hmm. there's a vast number of books i've read and i've now recognized i'm basically over halfway through my reading life so i'm 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 i'm, I'm 48 and now of course i i could like live to a very ripe old age and and uh, and so on but you have no knowledge of that so mm-hmm. assuming I, I i live a normal length of time i'm probably over halfway through my reading life in terms of the numbers of books that, and, and so on that i read and so it's recognizing that god's made me uh limited my brain is not as uh much like a sponge as it was in my 20s in terms of memorizing things so that's where being very very you know honest with uh situation and we owe most of us uh, if you can read ten thousand books in life that is a lot of books uh, to read most people can't can't manage that so therefore there will be many of these books that get the review that everyone must have read this that you won't have read mm-hmm. you know i've got I and mean, the problem is i've got loads of friends as well who've written books and i haven't even read my friends books yeah you know uh so i mean i do spend time reading uh, you know, uh, and read every day, but y- you you have to trade off. So, mm. uh, I, by the way, I think uh, it'd be really great for more people to read. You know, Packer's, you know, um, Knowing God and and, and uh, you know Ryle's Holiness. But you know, I haven't. But I've read some other things. You know, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> but I've read some. So I hope our listeners will put down uh, Packer and Ryle and pick up. Can we trust the Gospels? <laughs> 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 From, it's a very different kind of reading, but if if that's what if that's what the hedgehog that they need to be is uh, biblical studies or New Testament specifically, then maybe they should put down holiness. Well, I, no, I wouldn't want to uh, put myself over against uh, I, I know you and Ryle. Would, so that's why I had, to, I had to do it for you. And uh, go find uh, Dr. Peter J. Williams on online chess. <laughs> Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you.